Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brum Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at brumradio.com. In the heart of Birmingham, one team to bring you your week in geek. It's the Geeky Brummy Show every Saturday, 12 till 1 on Brum Radio. And good afternoon and welcome to Geeky Brummy here on Brum Radio. Sorry. Sorry. You just put on the Rugrats thing in my ears. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can hear. It's like, oh, brain melt. Anyway. <laughs> So, as you probably guessed, Guy is here with the world's craziest backing music, as always. Morning, Guy. It's actually afternoon. Well, afternoon. Close <laughs> enough. It's, mo- it's morning to me. Yeah. <laughs> and we're here, of course, with Keith. Hello, Keith. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. George. Afternoon. And Mr. Philip Ellis, Master of Tall Tales. Good afternoon. Verified on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we were all at ice last week having fun and... Randomly. Oh, I see what you've done Randomly. there. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah. Oh, so it was the International Comics Expo at the studio, so we've got some interviews for them later. We also have George cornering the wonderful, the amazing Mr. Barrowman. Yeah, I am amazed that I was allowed near John Barrowman. I think surely there's got to be some kind of rules against that, but they did. They, they, yes. let, me, they let me speak to him and everything. It was, yeah. it was great. He was very nice. Yeah, Keith will be talking about Cooper and the Two Strings a little bit later. Yes, I'm slightly obsessed with that. So. Yes, uh, we'll have geeky goings on as well, of course, and maybe even a little bit of Top Trumps, special Top Trumps this week. And Phil Atlas is here. And of course Phil Atlas is here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just here. That, that's just... <laughs> He walks, he walks around with a giant blue tick above his head. I'm not sure <laughs> it's like The Sims. Like the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys, like, it's not a big deal, you know. They'll, they'll, do it, they'll, they'll, they'll verify anyone these days. I mean, well, not anyone. But, you know. well, Important people. Yeah. 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 How did you get yourself there? What did you have to say to get yourself there? I verified? said, um, can I please be verified? And they were like, I said, excuse me, I'm Phil Ellis. Give me a <laughs> on Twitter. He just appeared in a magic puff of smoke in Twitter reception and just <laughs> went, I'm here, please verify. I mean, that's factual. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, kind of, that's pretty much what happened. Yeah. Um, no, I sent them an email and I said I'd like to be verified and, and then I was. Mm. That's, that's pretty much what happened. Very yeah. impressive. <laughs> Did you not like to, to produce any photo ID or a birth certificate or anything? Um... No, it's it's Twitter. It's not gov.uk. You you have to um, you you um, there are like a few requirements. Like you have to have a complete profile. So you have to have a profile picture and a a profile name. Um, You have to. One of us could get verified as Phil Ellis on Twitter. (laughs) We don't have to to provide any kind of identification. I mean, can we all change our Twitter handles to (laughs) Phil Ellis and get verified? Like, I'll get I'll get you guys blocked, okay? Just <laughs> <laughs> FYI. <laughs> well, what about Phil Ad- Phil Ellison at the Edinburgh Festival show? Yeah. Well, yeah. you've yeah. just tough, tough, luck, tough luck for him. You know. Yes, <laughs> he, he was not verified before. It's too late now. Exactly, yeah. I'm the original. All right, people. This is Dominic Casey here. I played Lieutenant Malcolm Reed on Enterprise as a proper gentleman, and you're listening to Brum Radio. To kind of normality, uh, we were at International Comics Expo last week, weren't we, George and Keith? We were. We were, we were having fun. We ran down, did an hour, ran back, did the show, <laughs> ran back down, and did some more fun. Yeah, there was, there was so much there. I, after after we'd finished, it was like I realised that I did, hadn't done hardly any, spoken to any of the people that I really went down there. They had so many guests, it was incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's great fun. You spent way too much money. I did. Yeah. I, I, I had to. I found Lego Gambit, okay? I, well, I've been looking for a Gambit minifig for so long. No rogue Gambit? No, no rogue there was never rogue, but the man kept trying to sell me Jean Grey. I'm wondering if he thought that's what I was dressed as, which is a bit awkward. Yeah. But he kept pointing them out, like, we've got Jean Grey. I'm like, I know. 
but I want the Gambit one. We've got Jean Grey. <laughs> Clearly, okay. Jean Grey's not selling as well as she used not to. Not. She, she, she couldn't have been as rare as some of the other figures. They've got a, they've got a, yeah. a job lot from somewhere. I think he's probably waiting for um, I'm sorry, Sansa Stark to come back in for the yeah. X-Men movies and like, mm. up, up Jean Grey a little bit more, then. Maybe. Yeah, or you could just reflog them as like Game of Thrones ones and go, yeah. she looks like Jean Grey, but no, she's actually from yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like just random outfit change halfway through. <laughs> just pop the head off. That's the joy of the yeah. Lego figures. Just pop the head off. <laughs> right. So we even got to speak to the wonderful guys from Geek Syndicate. You're we probably their biggest fan. Well, it's like they've been this day were there at Ice, yeah. and it was part of their kind of birthday celebrations because they've been podcasting now for ten years. Yeah, which is quite an amazing achievement for these guys. Really, who just started off by yeah. going, we're mates, and they hadn't kind of they drifted apart a little bit, and they just yeah. came back together and started talking about comics and films and all the rest of it and I think it's inspired a whole host of people to kind of mm. talk about these subjects I mean part of the reason why I'm here today talking about it is hearing um, Barry and, and David talk yeah. about stuff on, on their podcast and it's a brilliant podcast and yeah. it was really nice and they were running all the panels yeah. they, they were there all day running a load of panels at ICE and you know they were a great b- bunch of guys and Stacey who we had in a few weeks ago was there yeah. as well I mean if you haven't listened to the Geek Syndicate podcast I do urge you to do it and they are Podcasting is becoming a massive thing. I think it, it it seems to have caught a real big surge the last few years. From everybody's getting involved now. I mean, I know Darren Hayes does a couple of podcasts. And he does one about film, which is we paid to see this, which is all really good. And it's nice to see other people jumping into the podcast scene as well. I think it's a lot more accessible than it used to be. You don't yeah. have to spend a huge amount of money on to buy a decent microphone. No. You can do so much editing with like the free software that comes loaded onto yeah. your laptop. And um, yeah, it sound decent. It's dead easy to stick stuff on iTunes. And um, whatever niche interest you, you're in, you know. Um, so I, I actually, uh, um, sort of for uh, work, I kind of did a, a roundup of my, my favourites. Yes. Um, and it, it, it's li- it literally is anything from, you know, you've got you've got comedy, you've got um, horror. Actually, yeah. some of the the fiction storytelling. Yeah. Um, is is amazing. Well, you've got like Welcome to Night Vale. Like, yeah, yeah absolutely. Amazing. And Alice isn't dead. The black tapes and, and all that. Mm-hmm. And then you've got you know sort of like the whole talk show format. Yeah, you've I mean, got Alec Baldwin's everything. doing one. I think yeah, Alec he interviews Baldwin. sort of a, a famous figure every week or every two weeks I think yeah. Um, yeah and especially in the sort of you know the, the geeky world as well you've got I think it's called Retrotopia yeah um, where they sort of you know really dig deep into the sort of you know the, the nostalgia mm-hmm. and old comics games films that kind of thing yeah um, and yeah and what another really really great one is how did this how did this get made where it's basically people a bunch of mates watch an incredibly trashy film and and, and then sort of tear it apart yeah um, and yeah it's kind of that whole um, Whatever kind of area of pop culture you're yeah. into, you can find something. Or, and, and, and if there isn't anything out there, then you can you know, make your own. Yeah, it's um, it's really democratic. It's yeah. um, and, and it's a, it's a fun community community to be part of as well. Yeah. So we're gonna quickly chat to the Geek Syndicate guys now, and we'll be back after that. So here we are we're at Ice with the legendary, the uncomparable Geek Syndicate. <laughs> ten years, gentlemen. Ten years of brilliant brilliant podcasts and amazing things how are you feeling about that just wondering who you're talking about I just, <laughs> it i'm wondering do i need to be do i need to come around the table because i suddenly realize i feel like I'm, I'm the boss actually that's true i am actually the boss so that's fine so i'll allow you to answer that question Dave. thanks boss what was the question <laughs> so 10 years in the podcasting game you're probably the first major podcaster to come out of britain for geeks so how does it feel to be the, the pioneer? Oh, it's, it's old now. Oh yeah, it's it's really 
really funny because I was just thinking back to when we used to go to conventions and try and interview people and say, we're from Geek Syndicate, and they'd go, who? And then you'd go, oh, we're a podcast, and they'd go, what's a podcast? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and the fact that it's, it's come so far that um, uh, it's quite mind-boggling because uh, Barry and I were saying earlier that we're not stick-at-it people. Um, so it's as much a surprise to us as anybody else that we're still going. Um, and I think what's really moving for us is the amount of people who have, who have been part of it uh, in that journey and the fact that a real community is built and we've tried to use use our power for good and do various um, sort of money raising things. For... So, so it's become to me more than just us doing a show for our own vanity, you know, it's something that we can do with it, which is nice. Oh, that was really deep, that was. You look really surprised. I am, I'm, I'm generally quite surprised that you said all that. I'm like, wow, I mean, and you actually sounded quite genuine as well. Well done. Genuine. I know you were, but you know, you always got that actor thing on you, so you're never quite sure. He's got a bit of a Lex Looper about him. But you know, a lot of what you just said as well, he's like got cackling laughter behind him and stuff. But no, I um, I can't really say anything more than what Dave said, really. I mean, I never, I never, ever expected us to be going in 10 years' time, ever let alone, as we said before, let alone 10 minutes. I thought we would do that first episode and that'd be it. The fact that we're still here and we're, what are we, over 270 episodes. Um, and because we silly, you didn't number some of them. Probably, we've probably done three. So when we celebrate our 300 episode, technically we've already done 300. And we, we went through a brief period where we decided to stop Geek Syndicate and become Geek to Geek. And we did that for a bit and that was rubbish. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, it was rubbish and a lot of hard work. Yeah. Let's, let's do a magazine sort of podcast. It would be great, and then it wasn't. Yeah, um, it wasn't. No, I don't it think it. It, wasn't it was great. good. It, it was. Just, it was a lot of work. Yeah, you know, what we what we envisaged for it was much more work than we were ready for. <laughs> that was the problem. So you know, I, I think we're probably more in a region of about three hundred episodes, really. And, and also, what it's led us to is to meeting people we never imagined we'd meet, attending events we never imagined we'd attended. It's just been. It's been its own reward in many ways. Yeah, well, I, I think the first question I ever asked, and this is true, I've just suddenly realised, the first question I ever asked anyone was, what comics are you reading at the moment? And uh, the person I was asking was Samuel Jackson, which was at The Spirit, which is an awful film. Um, <laughs> sorry, Sam, if you're listening, awful. At least you got paid, dude. But, yeah, that was the first press conference we'd ever we managed to wangle our way into it. I still don't quite know how I managed to get us into it. And I'd gone on my own, hadn't I? And I, so I was absolutely terrified about doing anything and I could hear his voice just ask a question ask one question so I put my hand up not expecting and they went oh that guy there probably because I was the only black guy in the room I guess maybe I suddenly thought oh no I've got to ask a question uh, quick 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 he reads comics he likes comics so then I said it and actually it was a good question because he actually had comics in his bag and he bought comics out of his bag and he had a bit of a banter about it so actually that was really good so I think if there's one thing Geek Syndicate has done for me, it's pushed me out of my comfort zone so many times. And, and it's one of the reasons why I do say to people, podcasting is a good thing to take up. If you're nervous or you're shy, which I am. I know many people don't think I am, but it is true. And most times before we start doing a panel or whatever, I'm not violently sick or anything, but I am incredibly nervous before I start doing a panel or a talk or even an interview. I'm very nervous. Once I get going, usually then kind of, you have to then move the mic away and shut up. But, you know, that's come from podcasting. I think that part of me was always there, but I think doing Geek Syndicate and whatever has kind of allowed that part of me to sort of breathe. And I noticed the difference now when I do certain things. I can almost bring that side of me out now, whereas before I didn't really know it was there. I don't know if that makes sense or not. So I would wholeheartedly recommend people um, still do your podcast. I mean, you now can't trip over without another podcast starting up. I, I mean, the amount of Geek podcasts now is incredible. I think when we started, we could afford to be quite generic. 
in what you did because there wasn't many of us but now I think you've got to be a bit more focused in what you do if you're starting something you've got to have a theme that you go in with because there's so many out there uh, I don't think just going in with no idea what you're doing is going to work anymore um, but if you want uh, I do host a, a podcast class in London once a term just had to <laughs> shameless drop that one in there <laughs> And you're also expanding out via Patreon at the moment, so you're running to, is it YouTube you want to expand out to get a bit more video? It always amazes me that people would give us money, because I'm like, why would you do that? I mean, don't let that stop you, but, you know, but I'm like, I don't understand why you would give us money to do this. Reality is, you want to do stuff on video, you've got to get equipment, you've got to do stuff, and we're broke, so just, you know, if you like it, help us out. But we, we do want to do more, and uh, it was... I was going to say, a lot, a lot of it largely came out of the the BBC, the two BBC shows before I play was this kind of hankering to do more and stuff and we did pitch more ideas to the BBC and one of them was a geek a, a geek magazine show, pop culture magazine show because I still believe it's a very thing I'm quite passionate about is that we don't have anything like that in this country and when we do have anything like that it's done badly, very very badly. I want to see that change I want, you know, I, I believe that we can do the kind of geek culture show that geeks deserve, where people, geeks aren't pandered to, they aren't made to feel silly and whatever. They actually, there are geeks of all walks of life, not just that one little nerdy guy that you see in, in the Big Bang Theory, hate that show. It shows that actually geeks can come from all walks of life, can be completely different people. Most of the time when Dave and I rock up to do an interview and we say we're Geek Syndicate, we get a double take because people go, really, you're geeks? And we go, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We were doing some interviews for, across for BBC regional radio stations. And we were being asked some questions and the BBC PR looked at us and he was listening to the questions they were asking and he mouthed at us, he goes, they don't know you're black, do they? And it, was, it was hilarious. And you could tell by the questions, they genuinely thought we were overweight white guys who hadn't moved out of home yet. Yeah. It was so obvious yeah. from what it was. And the questions and questions. the just... Yeah, but how do you meet girls? What? I think this is a big thing in geek culture at the moment where it's gone from subculture to main culture. It's the biggest set of films out at the moment. Everybody wants comic book movies. A lot of diversification is coming in comic book movies. They're going out, expanding out to titles that people have heard of. Even like Guardians of the Galaxy and Deadpool, the success of those films is pushing that geek culture into mainstream. And do you think this is something that's going to continue? I mean, I hope I do. I mean, I think it will continue, and I think to, you know, keep beating on that drum, this is why I find it crazy that we don't... I'm not necessarily a show done by us, but I, think, I find it crazy that no-one has is doing a kind of pop culture weekly show because of the fact that pop culture is now... It, isn't, it, that's now the main thing. That's what people watch. Game of Thrones, Walking Dead. They, they, these make a ridiculous amount of money. So just purely from a financial point of view, why is no-one doing it? You know, I, I, it blows my mind. But my worry is, eventually, some executive somewhere is going to realise that, greenlight some awful, awful geek culture show with people on there that have no passion for geek. I'm not saying, I mean, you know, no passion for geek whatsoever. And then they just bring, and then they'll just bring on people, and they'll just make them look silly. And then it will just turn the clock back, you know. And and that's my worry. Not every not every geek dresses up. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with cosplay or anything like that, but the perception is that if you're into like, comics, you're into geek, then you dress up. You, they've got this specific set of ideas, which has slightly changed now, because before it was that whole in the basement thing, but now it's a, uh, well, you dress up then, don't you? Which is why even when we do um, YouTube videos or when we did the BBC stuff, uh, or even today, you know, we make a concerted effort to actually not have our... I have loads of geeky T-shirts and stuff like that. I make a concerted not to do that, because I'm going to be on screen, 
and I don't want to like <laughs> reinforce. You want to show that your your opinion has to be validated by a certain dress code. I'm a normal person that likes geeky stuff. Yeah, that's what people see. And when I want to geek out, then I'll put on the geeky stuff. But there's a there's a subtle dynamic that needs to be communicated, just even by appearance. I yeah. think sometimes. And I think without, I think normally just by people seeing us on a screen. Certainly when we did the iPlayer show, we got a lot of comments about that. I think that in itself creates a slightly different image of people's in people's minds of what they perceive your typical geek to be. It's also very hard to deal with the insatiable lust that we inspire in most of the populace. I find it. I've had to. to I've taken to walk around with a big stick just to beat people off with. And you got one of your biggest fangirls here, Stacey, who read yes. on the show a few months back. Hello. Welcome back again, Stacey. I just waved at a microphone. Yeah, this is just the second though. time doing that. Now today. I want to weigh in because um, Geek Syndicate are the reason that I do podcasts now. The world has you guys to blame. Yeah. <laughs> Um, But the the thing about podcasting for me is that I am a massive worrier. I don't know how to conduct myself socially. And so going on to Geek Syndicate, even though beforehand I was so nervous that I threw up twice. Did you? Yeah, I did. (laughs) Um, After, like, just sharing your passions with like-minded people and then being able to... I mean, my podcast is like a a drop in the ocean of, of geek podcasts that's existing. But it's opened so many doors to me. I've met so many people. I've got lovely new friends. I'm going to hug Dave again because his hugs are so good. That's true. And um, I'm rambling, but what basically what I'm trying to say is that Geek Syndicate's great. Very true. I mean, it's been a fantastic first 10 years. And it is that strange situation. I've heard your voices for so many years. It's like your friends I've never met. And it's like reassuringly every month or every week or so to hear you coming through my headphones telling me about all those things I, I really enjoy so it's well, like we actually don't exist and all of this is just a, like the matrix it's just a figment of your imagination yeah figment of our imagination but yeah congratulations on the first 10 years and here's to the next 150 years or whatever <laughs> however keep, go- keep going you've, you've, you've got to keep going that immortality secret we'll, we'll be going forever and ever yeah, I'm going to record your voices phonetically just so we can reproduce them <laughs> 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 yes. thank you very much gentlemen have a great day you thanks too. guys Hey everybody, John Barrowman here, and you are listening to Brum Radio. We're just going to go into a round of other interviews that we caught at Ice. Nice Nerdy pun, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chill. S- slow. Uh-huh. Yeah, get those uh, puns in there. That's yeah. a pun, that is. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so George got a chance to have a quick word with Nerdy Birdie, mm-hmm. who's amazing, and so for Dave as well. I did. I finally caught him. He tried to run away from us when he saw the microphone. <laughs> we, uh, we trapped him behind his stool so he yeah. couldn't get away. And Keith and I cornered Phil Winslade. Yeah, great guy. Lots yeah. of work in 2018. Sounds like you guys did a lot of cornering over the last couple of weeks. It was stalky, stalky super fans. Yeah. Stands, <laughs> if you will. Starting to worry about you all. Yeah. Right, so we'll be back after this. Hiya, I'm Gorinda, and um, I'm my stall is Nerdy Birdie Creations, and basically I spend a lot of time doing a lot of geeky crochet making anything from like Star Wars to turtles to Pikachu all sorts of yeah if you can think about it I can probably crochet it is this your first time at ICE? I came here last year I had a really good con so I'm back for more so hopefully it'll go well today as well awesome how did you get started on the geeky crochet? well I've been crocheting since I was about 7 and I'm about 35 now so it's been a long time and then just basically about when my daughter was little so she's about 7 now I was like oh I should make her actually some of the things that she likes because you can actually find Star Wars stuff in the shops and everything that I well the sort of sort of crochet stuff that I wanted to make so yeah just started and haven't really stopped so now I need to come out of the house and, and bring my stuff out and about do you have a particular item that's your most popular what's been your hot seller oh R2D2 is really popular and then I've started on the BB-8 stuff and people love it as well as my little pony my little pony is 
very popular with boys and girls. <laughs> That's awesome. If we want to find your gorgeous creation somewhere online, is there somewhere our listeners can do that? Yep, so I'm on nerdybirdie.co.uk. Yep, so I'm, I'm around there. So it's birdie with a Y as well. <laughs> awesome, definitely check those out. They're adorable. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you. I'm Batman. And I listen to the Geeky Brummy Show every Saturday at noon on Brum Radio. Here we are at Ice Comic Convention in Birmingham, uh, and we're here with Phil Winslade. Good morning, Phil. Morning. So how are you today? Tell us a little bit about what you're currently working on, what you get out of coming to ICE, and um, what it's like to meet all the fans. Well, at the moment I'm working on a book called Lawless for the Judge Dread magazine. It's an ongoing storyline, and it's about a colonial marshal set in sort of dread times, but on a colonial planet, and it's very good. It's with Dan Abnett, the writer. What am I doing at ICE? I'm meeting fans. I'm hopefully going to sign lots of their comics and say thank you very much for buying them. In terms of uh, coming to Birmingham from comic conventions, you've been a regular of um, conventions all the time, so what do you think it is about Birmingham and its comics fraternity? I live here. I come from Birmingham. I think, I, I think you know, there's a, there's a big community of comics, but it's also very central for lots of people around to get their first chance to come to a convention, and this is a particularly well-run one. And it's especially good for young people trying to get into the industry. I think Shane does a really good job of organising it, and it's a lovely venue. How do you feel about the resurgence of the British comic scene in the last few years? Do you think it's picking up? Uh, There's loads of small press coming out now. What's your opinion on how the small press scenes and the wider comic scene is developing in the UK? Well, I think the UK's a really, really exciting place for comics, but I think... I think you know there's a there is a lot of news uh, there's a lot of small press and and I think companies like Image have made it more acceptable and, and given a broader audience to what a comic can be. The 2018 Rebellion have also maintained a footprint in the in, in the non-comic shop arena, which it may be people's first introduction to comic or even you know the Beano as well and I think there's a rich history of comics in Britain and and we should be really proud of that the only thing I do worry about is whether people can actually afford to make a living at it and whether that's actually feasible you know it's really healthy at the moment and there seems to be a lot of really exciting people coming up people like Jessica Martin are really good I think they're opening the door for a different type of comic that isn't necessarily what the American market is dominated by and if people could be generally brought back to it because there used to be a lot more of comics that were about other things than, and you know the, the superhero stuff is fine but you know we want the medium to expand because it is one of the most efficient ways of telling a story brilliant well thank you very much Phil thank you cheers Geeky Brummy on Brum Radio oh okay so it's the same thing <laughs> twice I'm getting it now <laughs> And the legend, we have got up with the wonderful Surfer Dave of Nostalgia Comics. Dave, how are you? I'm all of the good. Um, You've enjoyed it so far? Definitely. Is, is this, uh, I'm sure you guys are pretty frequently involved with uh, with ICE. What brings you back repeatedly? Or is this your first time here? We just love these guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's, a, it's a nice little con. It's, uh, it, you know, it's a good way to get people together. It's, uh, we're showcasing our store. We're not too far. It's... Uh, yeah, we, we love it here. <laughs> so I see it's quite different to kind of the more kind of traditional MCM style of conventions, and it is very much for the comic collector. I think. Would you agree with that? Do you think that's something that's important? Uh, yeah, 
it is. My, the only thing that I would say that we need more here is the comic dealers for maybe classics and, and modern comics. It'd be nice to see a bit more of that cheap modern comics and cheap uh, classics. That would be good. Is there, is there anything you're looking out for yourself today? No, don't tempt me. I'm trying to go, get money together to go on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> <Behave yourself. laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Hi, this is Aaron Gray from Buck Rogers in the 25th century, and you're listening to Brum Radio. Come back next week, and we'll have even more amazing ice content because we just spoke to, I think, pretty much 90% of the people there. I think he's got around well, to everybody's solo. By I don't even think it was 90% because I did have a hit list, and I still yeah. didn't hit everybody on that list. There were just so many amazing guests. <laughs> so, yeah, well done to Shane and all of his crew for a yeah. great event. Yeah. Amazing one, and um, thanks very much to Comic Book. CBCS CBCS yes. it, for saving the event because yes. amazing event amazing guys and there were babes that helping us get to some of the artists as well they were very helpful making yeah. introductions thank you for that as well guys mm-hmm. right you also did something geeky a couple of weeks ago didn't you George I did yes uh, you got I, to speak to the wonderful John Barrowman. I did. Uh, I got to go and be a grown-up with Brom Hour, which was very exciting. We yes. were allowed to go to the press launch of Panto at the Hippodrome, which is uh, mm-hmm. this year, I think. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, of course, I was not going to miss the opportunity to ask John Barrowman about Torchwood, so obviously I had to. Ah, definitely. So we're just going to quickly speak to John Barrowman now. Can I be a cheek and ask some geeky questions? Yeah, fine, fine. <laughs> uh, I'm a Cardiff girl, uh, so obviously Torchwood means a lot to me. Uh, there is still a huge memorial to Yanto in Millennium uh, Yes. Uh, how does it feel to be part of something that people loved so much that there is still so much, yeah, so much outpouring love for a character like that? Well, there's still uh, a huge uh, outpouring for the whole show, really, and not only just for Yanto, but also for Captain Jack. And I go uh, worldwide doing the comic cons and things like that, and I see mass amounts of people who keep asking when is Torchwood coming back, and you know. I have to say to them, uh, it's, I'm going to do everything I can to try and push that to get it back. But uh, it seems that there's somebody who has an ego who's not allowing it to come back, yeah. and uh, we have to work through that. So, uh, but Torchwood, and you know, is hugely popular, and it was a great thing for Cardiff because it put Cardiff on the international map, which is just awesome. Because I live in Cardiff. I have a, I have a house <laughs> in Sully, just yeah. outside. You of live just down the road from my dad. Yeah. Do I? Oh, good. Don't tell people the address. Uh, I won't. I definitely won't. <laughs> But definitely, uh, yeah, see, we're practically neighbours. <laughs> you said something earlier on uh, about the importance of Panto as a, an experience for kids, and yes. it is for a lot of children their first experience of live theatre. Uh, do you think it is important to get that kind of in- introduction to seeing theatre for real for well, little ones? Of course it is for, for kids, because kids are only, you know, it's what's on the iPad or it's what's on the television or their phone, and for them to watch uh, live theatre is a great introduction for them, Panto in particular because it introduces them to, to laughs, it introduces them to songs, it introduces them to dance, about to, you know, how to applaud. Uh, it, it, it teaches them about theater, basically, and the fact that then hopefully they'll move on. And I've had this with shows. I've got, when I started 10 years ago, and there were kids in their teens coming to see me for the first time in Birmingham, uh, they're, they're now coming with their own kids. So it's a, a cyclical thing, and I, I think it's just awesome that families keep coming back, and that's what you want as an actor, for people to keep coming to see you as the family grows as you get older. Fantastic. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> this is Mr. B, the Gentleman Rhymer. That geeky brummy is a top L chap. It's time to play Top Drums. Yes, it is time for Top Trumps, and this week we've gone with something a little bit different from the normal <laughs> <geeky> Top Trumps. 
Shamoon, we have an unofficial guide to the music of Michael Jackson. These are official top trumps. They're not unofficial top trumps, but they're an unofficial guide. Yes. So we're going through Michael Jackson's discography, trying to pick out the best ones. I think that Michael Jackson is one of the most overrated artists of all time, and I've been slated for saying that. But seriously, overrated. His music's not that great. Carry on with the game. I feel Michael Jackson is the pop star that people say is their favourite when they haven't got like an original thought in their body. I know what you mean. It's like in school, it's like, oh, what pop stands, you know, uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah, like every. So you know that Madonna's a thing, right? You know, you can uh, say that. It's like every kid seems to have to like Michael Jackson for some reason. It's like mm-hmm, someone yeah. rule. It's kind of like he's not that cool. Like these songs are quite dull. I, I completely agree. Anyway, I, 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 anyway, <laughs> anyway, we are playing with Michael Jackson. <laughs> Direct all of your abuse to Phil Verified, <laughs> Guy Unverified. <laughs> Guy underscore unverified. That's like a very unverified <laughs> opinion. Please direct any inquiries to the album review show. Yes. <laughs> we will definitely not be featuring his work on the show. <laughs> right. He wants to start. Guy? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Year release 1972, and now we're going to go for the earliest or the latest. Earliest, I think. Are you actually going to tell us what the track is? is Oh, Rockin' Robin. Aww. You're not going to sing it? No. (laughs) (laughs) George? The tweeting bit. Uh, uh, Sorry, what much time to beat? 1972. Two. Uh, Well, mine have all got pretty much the same. This is helpful. Uh, I'm going to go with Human Nature, which was released in 1983. I'm going to go with The Girl Is Mine, featuring uh, ex-Beatle Paul McCartney, which was released in 1982. Mm. And I've got... Bam, the two of us, I forgot the words. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, me and my rat man, we're cool. Yes. Uh, I've also got 1972. Yes. That song's about a rat. It is. Yes, it's a rat. Ben yeah. was a rat. That's right. really creepy. I have a track which you cannot blame on the sunshine. You cannot blame it on the moonlight, but you can blame it on the boogie. Oh, which was released in 1978. You're killing me here. You just stop all the puns. <laughs> <laughs> we get a draw there, guy. This, no, is my job. Job. this is my job here. Barely keeping you in control and making awful puns. <laughs> right, George, uh, you're next. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to go with... I've got We Are The World, and I'm going to go for length of track. It's seven minutes and seven seconds. Oh. Sorry, that song is seven minutes. Who the hell was seven that minutes? For seven we are the world. We world. But I mean, it, it was written by Lionel Richie, so <laughs> we are the ones gonna make a better day. My superstars, so including living. Bruce Springsteen, Stevie Wonder, and Tina Turner. I mean, come on, who doesn't want seven minutes of that? <laughs> and Stevie Wonder, oh, seven seconds. I've got Phil. I um, I can't really yeah I can't compete with this so I'm I'm gonna go with Leave Me Alone which is a song I've never ever heard uh, length of track nor is anything nor you know that's not the thing you want is it four no? minutes thirty seven I mean if Michael Jackson saying Leave Me Alone then you know that the subject of the song is a, a pretty aggressive yeah. let's yes. say Keith uh, I've got Billie Jean uh, which length of track is only four minutes and no yeah four minutes and fifty four seconds all right. I'm going to throw away my worst card here, which is Off the Wall, from the Off the Wall album, with a lowly four minutes and six seconds. That's hardly okay. worth putting up. Mm-hmm. I've got The Way You Make Me Feel, and to be honest with you, Michael, The Way You Make Me Feel is angry. <laughs> uh, four minutes, 58. <laughs> yeah, point for George there. Phil, you get the final Okay, thing. so I'm going to go with Time is in the Charts, um, and my card here is Scream, featuring his sister, Janet Jackson, 
and it was in the charts for 13 weeks. Well, that's all right, because Janet's involved. I like Janet. Janet <laughs> is Miss you know, Jackson, if you're nasty. Yeah. Uh, she's all right, yeah. yeah I like got Janet. time for her. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got Thriller, which I'm surprised only charted at number 10. Didn't get any higher than that. that. It? Yeah. What? But it was in the charts for a grand total of 18 weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Impressive. I picked myself rubbish cards this week. I have Remember the Time from Dangerous. (laughs) Remember the time, don't remember the song. (laughs) Timing chart, eight weeks. We've got a Dirty Diana, needs a bit of a wash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that Dirty Diana bracket, needs a wash, close bracket? Yeah. <laughs> uh, eight weeks. Nice. Yeah, I'm disappointed. I thought I was going to do well on this one, but apparently not. Uh, I've got Beat It, which was in the chance for 12 weeks. No puns, Guy. No puns. No. <laughs> Hang on, has Keith won? So, Keith won? Yeah, yeah it's Keith won. Well, you get a point, George gets a point, and then you got another half point. I've got so a half point, yeah. Yeah, yeah so oh, wow. winner's speech time. Um, Despite the rest of the group's less than glowing opinion of Mr. Jackson, I'm quite happy that he managed to um, get me a few decent songs. And Thriller, you know, I like that. The video's good. It's got werewolves and stuff in. So, yeah, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. That was really terrible. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Speech. Yeah. I didn't know just what to sing, say. Just sing some more. Do you want to do some more songs? Yeah. Band, the two of us. Who writes the songs? Rat. I do like Michael yes. Jackson, but what is that about? I can't do Billie Jean, though. It's a bit too high for my register. Yeah. <laughs> Billie Jean. <laughs> it's not my number. <laughs> anyway. Can we please move on? Hi, I'm George Ellesmere from the Geeky Brummy Show. Join the Mayhem every Saturday at noon live on brumradio.com. Keith, you went to see Kubo and the Two Strings? Yeah, I went to see Kubo and Two Strings last weekend. It's the latest film from uh, Leica Studios, who people might remember from doing Coraline. Yeah. They've done Paranorman, and their last big hit was uh, Box Trolls. So this is their latest one they've been working on for the past few years. And it's a story set in um, Japan. Mm. So it starts off with the title character, Kubo, who uh, his mom and dad are... She's a... um, part of a group of people who live on the moon and his dad was a samurai and things happen and he loses his eye and they try and hide from his granddad who's the king of the moon uh, it's beautifully animated this sounds a very complicated storyline well it's it's one of these films that kind of like it's stop motion so people are assuming yeah. this for kids but it's actually got lots and lots of layers it's a film for people there's there's um content in there about the power of stories the power of memory um, all of these kind of really interesting things and it's kind yeah. of dark in places there's quite a lot of interesting things going on visually it's a beautiful beautiful looking film the mm-hmm. stop motion's amazing and if you do go hang on until the titles uh, are starting to roll because they do a little behind the scenes look of how they actually made it and you see the scale mm-hmm. of some of the puppets and some of the models that they've made for this film and it is it's stunning visually music's great uh, Regina Spector does a cover of uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps which is wow. amazing at the end of it sounds fits perfectly they use a lot of Jap- traditional Japanese instruments in there mm-hmm. and it's, it's beautiful and it's really moving and affecting and a uh, very kind of uplifting and positive message in it it's a great great film so I recommend it highly yeah so anybody who hasn't seen it go and watch it now this film needs as much support as possible it's amazing to see stop motion back in the cinema yeah after well, such a long break Leica have had such a good track record so far yeah and obviously as technology's gone on they, they're using uh, kind of CGI and stuff to help cover up some of the armatures and more complicated setups mm-hmm. they've got but at essence it's a man in a room moving these models piece by piece and they yeah. use real human hair for some of the hair yeah. parts it's just immaculate. It's I mean, stunning. Yeah. I mean, Coraline is one of my all-time favourite 
films. It, it's been described as a Burtonist. It's not Tim Burton film. Your favorite people are confused about it's, that. Um, it's Tim Burton without all the self-indulgent yes. bits. It's and it, it's Coraline is one of those films where um, if it's on TV, I will kind of stop everything and, and, and watch it yeah. because it's. I mean, it's it's a Neil Gaiman. Yeah. It's um, yeah. fantastic. You know, yeah. um, voice acting from Terry Hatcher as um, yeah. the 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 mother and the other mother. Yes. Um, and it is kind of yeah, it's, it's creepy and wonderful and, and yeah. I, I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm looking forward to seeing Cuba. And the voice casting again is another. They've, they've picked. Yeah. They've got Charlie Theron. They've yeah. got Matthew McConaughey. They've got uh, what's mm-hmm. his name? No, yeah. yeah. Some of them. Yeah. Some yeah, but it's an amazing. Jamie film. Bell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rooney, Rooney Mara. Yeah. Uh, Rooney Mara. Ah, uh, yes, from um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Thanks very much to Guy. <laughs> Pleasure. Thanks to George. Thank you. Thanks to Keith. Thank you. Thanks to Phil. Thank you. Thanks to all the Thanks to all the wonderful guests we've had this week, including Geek Syndicate, Stacey's Podcast Parlor, Phil Winslade, John Barrowman, of course, Nerdy Birdie, Surfer and Dave. Surfer Dave from the Starry Comics. Uh, that's Thanks it. to the award-winning Dave Massey from Britain. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the award-winning David Massey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's sleeping next to that award at the moment, just stroking it gently as he gets to bed. It's the award he's from radio, it's a a star factory. Yes, it is a star factory. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Mike Carey, former writer on X Men, Ultimate Fantastic Four, Lucifer, The Unwritten, and Hellblazer. And you're listening to Geeky Brummy on Brum Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to Geeky Brummy here on Brum Radio. That was Crystal Castles with 1991 there. Bit of a synthy pop starts off for the day. And a story about a taxidermied cat handbag, which fills <laughs> out the most amusing thing. I mean, I, I think we should just stop the show right here. I don't, I don't know how we're going to be able to top that. What is the opening music to this week? Have a listen. Sounds like the noise. Oh. No. Perry Mason. Perry Mason. Call it back to our 80s classic detective TV shows there. Alright, so in the studio with me this week, I have producer Guy, as always, who's bopping along to Perry Mason. Do I have to say hello? I'm, yeah, dance- yeah. I'm dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Keith is in with us, as always. I'm going to say hello as well, but I am transfixed by Guy's dancing <laughs> to the theme from Perry Mason. It's, it's hypnotic. <laughs> And Master of Tall Tales, ready for season two, it's Philip Ellis. Hello! Do you know, Phil, they say the second season's never as good as the first. <laughs> I'm going to come for you guys. <laughs> and, and I'm going to jump over that desk and we're going to have words. <laughs> so, unfortunately, George couldn't be here today, it's not very well, so get well soon, George. Yeah, get well, George. And we love you, George. Dave, who's gone back up to the wilds of the north. Yeah. Like beyond the, the wall. wall. Yeah, we're all such yeah. nerds. <laughs> Last week we started off with our first round of ice interviews, some great people on there, and this week we're going to be talking to some even more great people. Keith, you got the chance to talk to Guy Adams and Jimmy Roxon. Yeah. Re- re-brought Bronze Tiger back into the world. After Gold the- Tiger? Gold Tiger. Gold Tiger. Yeah, it was a title I'd been... Olympics level, so the third yeah. one. Go okay, for gold. Yeah, it was a title I'd been interested in for a while, because it was, it was um, some rediscovered... Uh, yeah. Comic strips from the 1960s, kind of modesty blaze, James Bond style thing, mm-hmm. and they kind of uncovered the um, story behind the creation of it and what happened. So they kind of tell us all about that kind of stuff. Cool, cool. And we also spoke to Charlie Adler. We'll 
Jordan David. Uh, Charlie Adlard, if you don't know, he's the main illustrator on the Walking Dead series of comics. Oh, well, that sounds an interesting comic. I might yes. have to look that one. Might be worth re- might be worth a read. Apparently, yeah. there's a TV show. I've never heard about that. Have you, Phil? It, it won't catch on. No, it won't catch on at all. Right, so here we go. We're going to start now with Guy Adams and Jimmy Broxton, and we'll see you in a little bit. Guy Adams and Jimmy Broxton, who are here promoting the discovered art and story from um, the 1960s, a title they've just managed to put together in uh, called Gold Tiger. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello, Keith. So tell us a little bit about Gold Tiger and how discovering this, this art and this story, you've managed to pull it together and put it out as a graphic novel. As far as discovering the art is concerned, that was entirely um, Jimmy's fault, as so many things are. Yes, blame me for everything, you usually do. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I was you were a, loitering in Malta yeah, doing I, your... Yeah, I was loitering in Malta at a comic convention and uh, I bumped into a guy who had, uh, an older guy who had a, a wad of artwork and I didn't recognise it but I recognised there was something there that I really liked. It turned out to be some original artwork from the original Gold Tiger strip and then I went back to his place and then I met a couple of other people who looked surprisingly like Jack and Lily, the characters from the Gold Tiger and he had almost all of it and I, I was taken aback by it and I thought this, this the world needs to see this because it was kind of a, more or less unknown uh, and hardly published really. He let me have the artwork, I brought it back to the UK, I've been working with Guy on the engine for Mayfire and I said I knew he loved the 60s period and that kind of material and I said look I'm sitting on this stuff, we could do a book of this and it, it kind of went from there didn't it? Yeah absolutely, I mean I'm, your knowledge of newspaper strips is wider than mine, I mean a huge Modesty Blaze fan and a huge fan of the the, uh, the old James Bond strips but I mean your, your knowledge is, is encyclopedic but I mean yeah I just I looked at the art and, I, and once we started to dig into the story of the this strip because I mean it's, it's what's amazing about it is it is a battle of creators you have Antonio Baretti the artist who is determined to, to sort of plow his own furrow if you like it he had a very clear vision of what he wanted this strip to be and of course the awkward thing is that clear vision was not anything anyone wanted to publish and then you have Louis uh, Schaefer the guy that just wants to cash the checks of money really I mean, he's, he's a working writer it's this is how he earns his livelihood and he finds himself tied to this you know, in, in modern parlance, this property, this franchise, if you like, because he's, he's effectively co-creator, although it's really more Beretti's uh, work than, than his. And is just constantly training behind Beretti, wanting to hold on to some control over this strip with this this, this wild horse of, of an artist that's just racing ahead. And just so the story behind the creation of the strip was almost as weird and as interesting as the strips in themselves. That was fascinating. Yeah, so. that's what we wanted to explore in the book, because the, the, the strips are what they are and they're interesting in their own right but the story of their creation as guys there and the the machinations behind the scenes and the fallings out and so on are just as entertaining and just as interesting as the strips really shed a lot of light on not just the period but the creative process and, and the process of creating comic art it is a very particular thing I think that's why it's resonating with, with, with a lot of people I it, think. it's a book that that's really seems to be finding appreciation with creators and it's, it's understandable because as you say it, it, it is a book that understands all the different elements of making stuff up as a living both the kind of the need to do that the, the kind of compulsion to do that because it's who you are and also the weird process that is making stuff up for money which is just such a weird thing to do with one's life isn't yeah, it I mean, right. anybody involved in the creative process when, when they re-goal target they'll probably see a little bit of themselves either in Beretti or Schaefer because they are poles apart probably both probably both you know depending 
depending on what happened that day. You know, is, is that is that kind of a relationship that you experienced yourselves as you as you're both a writer and artist combination? No comment. No, no. I think uh, there's a hint, isn't there? There were, there were moments. Yeah, there's, there's I mean, it's, it's, we get on it, a lot better than we Moretti do. And we do. What's great with working with, with Jimmy and we're, you know, it's 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 wonderful. We've done a few things together now. You know, and when we're actually creating our own, own work, we have got to a point where we have an agreement between us where even if I write relatively detailed layouts, it's it's basically so that an editor doesn't find me for being lazy. Jimmy knows that he can change things, and I know he will change things, so I don't fight it. You know. We, we've got a collaboration thing going on yeah, there, which, which, is, is, which is just lovely I trust you I know your storytelling is, is so strong I don't have to fret about that kind of thing and I know you're not you're not going to break what I'm doing it's a lovely process it's a really strong collaborative process yeah it is and it's refreshing for me because I've worked with a lot of writers over the years but I've never had a situation where well, I don't know what the word is simpatico is that an Italian word is, uh, I don't know if it is but it, it, uh, it sounds some, like something that, that might involve concrete and, and rivers yeah it does doesn't it which suits us down to the ground. Yeah, so that as an artist, uh, you know, as a creator, is, is unusual and very refreshing. I think it leads to better work at the end of the day. Unlike these two chumps, Beretti and Schaefer, there are no precious egos fighting against one another and pulling but then I, in I different think directions. Arguably, arguably, the fight between these two is, is, is what drove it to be the great thing it is. Yeah, in that Because case. actually both routes can work, can't yeah. they? Oh, yes. I, I think the fact that we, we've kind of got to the point where I'm writing for you and you're drawing for me to a degree and that's oversimplifying but but we, we've got to that point where we're, we're kind of we're trying to please each other we're trying to we're, we're trying to sort of mesh uh, and that's I think producing I mean I, certainly that the stuff we're doing a, a series for 2018 called Hope um, it's sort of weird occult noir thing and it's it, I, the art is unquestionably I think the best of Jimmy's career it's just phenomenal phenomenal stuff uh, but, the, but, I, but I do believe that, that a part of that is because I'm writing thinking I know the sort of thing Jimmy likes I want to give him all the food that nourishes him so he reads the scripts and, and it, it, it all builds up wonderfully but yeah these two just fought tooth and nail and, and it's uh, in its own way produced gold what, what an awful awful oh, I can't spent 10 minutes building up to that one I did just leading up what a, to what, a, what a nugget of splendour that was you, know? you hear it Ice is, is there anything that has attracted you to this particular event and what have you how have you found it what has the audience been like and have people been you know appreciating Gold Tiger for the, the lost classic that it is oh very much so yeah I mean it's been great I mean a lot of people have been coming up and picking up the book and we did a panel this morning which went very well and people um, people seem to be enjoying the story behind yeah, the story I mean, as much as the thing itself so, uh, it's always the thing with, I mean creators do live in their little rooms and they live in the dark and, and kind of don't always have a sense of of how uh, work has been received now I mean obviously this, this is a very unusual book it's a very different book because you know we're not working in our traditional roles here but nonetheless was a challenge and it was something you think I wonder how that's going to go down so it has been lovely to have people coming up to us saying how much they, they it seems to be a book that it has really driven people to come up to us going wow how much I love that book and that's that's really lovely I yeah. mean it's just yeah, it's not a, an ego I don't mean from a kind of no. ooh you know get us you know, it's no kind, it's not it's that. just affirming you think oh that was yeah. it was worth doing you know it's great excuse me that's uh, that's my that's accountant that's his agent <laughs> So you'd originally um, put, put the book out through Kickstarter, and now it's been picked up by Rebellion. Mm. Um, is, you know, it, 
How has that process gone through? Has it been successful? Because the Kickstarter was a very successful campaign. Basically, Rebellion saved us. I've written for 2000 AD, but on the prose side, Solaris, I'd done a lot of novels with uh, the guys over there, so I knew them well. And what happened with the Kickstarter is, is just, if anything could go wrong, it kept going wrong. Not only just the most absurd moments in our personal lives while trying to to get the work done on this book but I mean the, the main crippling thing was we got to the point it's done we're, we're basically ready to go at which point we find out that our printer has, has gone in, into receivership what well, had gone had, had already vanished and Jimmy's trying to contact these people well, why aren't they answering the phone anyway no one's replying to emails and then we find they've, they've liquidated taking all our money um, because in order to secure the, a, a decent print run as is common enough we'd paid up front for the thing and so yeah gone into receivership we've lost our print budget and you know the two of us are looking at our own personal bank accounts thinking can we afford to somehow find a way to, to fund this and, and we just knew we couldn't and that was the point the Rebellion stepped in and said well look we'll print the book we basically said well you fulfil you know the, the, we'll do a, a slightly different version you fulfil those those copies for our backers and we'll consider that our arrangement and, and, and then you can have a mass market edition to, to sell for yourselves and it was brave of them I mean, it's the first original book that Rebellion have done I mean it, it, everything else is you know uh, 2080 collections various properties therein so I mean it was it was a big leap of faith for them thankfully it seems to have paid off yeah we're just really really appreciative that they, they saved the day no question so what's next for yourselves as, as creators yeah the next comic thing is, is Hope probably launching at Christmas not 100% sure uh, I'm talking about Hope James has, has, has finished uh, discussing an extra increasing his wages from his agent so yeah hope, hopefully right, uh, starting around about Christmas time 12 part weird occult noir lots of fedoras and shadows and Venetian blinds and death just the finest finest artwork uh, known to wise oh bless him bless him yeah it's, it's very moody and atmospheric it's, it'll stand out in the fog I, I think because it won't look like the usual sort of stuff not that it's better it's just it will look different which I think is nice cause, yeah, yeah it has a different feel you know, you know. keep and, trying new things it's good. yeah and the scripts are phenomenal I can say that w- wonderful stuff I think people will enjoy it this is what happens in British comics because you, see, you know, no British creator can say they're great Americans can do it they've got the confidence British people have to say well I'm a writer and obviously I'm awful or I'm an artist and clearly I'm, I'm terrible so you have to talk to the double act because then at least the writer can say the art is phenomenal and the artist can say of course the script oh what, what beautiful work and is there any other Beretti and Schaefer um, lost classics out there that you might discover for us in the future who knows they're dead uh, well yeah <laughs> possibly Beth Beretti may or may not be alive we're, we're not sure uh, we have unearthed some of the material which we're very keen on and we're looking at it aren't we that if yeah. we can find a way to present it that not only contemporary what's the word I'm looking for well we don't, we don't want to just a reason to exist yeah, yeah other than just our own fanboy uh, musings and obviously in, in a way that's commercial enough for a publisher to, to pick it up because that you know we have to work with those kind of harsh realities but yeah. there is definitely stuff out there that we have on earth so. there won't be another book like this no there, there won't be another gold title um, for sure but yeah who knows because I mean some of the material we've got it's a very different proposition so yeah if that ever sees the light today that would be lovely and again it would be a, another sort of long justified celebration of their work Yes, it yeah. It would be good. But I mean, yeah, I mean, the stuff we're talking about is mainly Beretti. Yeah, it's not really anything to do with Shaper, but. Yeah, it's, it's but, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's, it would be nice to, to let him finally see the rewards he deserved. Yeah, if we'll only do. the praise. Yes. We'll take his money. <laughs> yes, we'll have to. You know, to hell with him. He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> he, he can get How a round of applause out of it. <laughs> 
we'll just have to bleep that one. Out. Okay. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for, for giving us an insight into that, the, the wonderful world of, of Beretti and Shaker from the 60s, and also for being outstanding creators in your own right. So um, I'm looking forward to the uh, 2080 series later in the year. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. Thank a pleasure. You thank you. I'm going to start by uh, asking you to introduce yourself yes. for our listeners. Hello, my name's Charlie Adlard and I draw zombies. The Walking Dead, that is. Yeah. <laughs> Drawing zombies is a pretty nice way to earn a living, I imagine. It's all right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it pays the bills. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty fun way of doing it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you got to earn the bills in a fun way, that's for Definitely. sure. Definitely. Uh, we hear you've been doing a little bit of fundraising today. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, yeah, yeah, I've been yeah, waving my big banner and uh, walking up and down the street. And, uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I come to this thing, I don't come to these things to make money. Oh, to sound like a horror old cliche, it's nice to give something back. <laughs> so that's, that's what I'm kind of doing, yeah. So you tell us a little bit about the charity you've been raising money for today. It's the charity that the Comic Book Con sponsoring, which is Beanstalk. I had to look over there to check. <laughs> it sounds like a great charity. Yeah, to be honest, it's just nice to always support the more local charities when I come to various conventions rather than just have a more generic, larger charity. It's nice to sort of give something back to something a bit more local-based. And, you know, I tend to do whenever I come to various events like this. You know, I always ask the organisers, you know, so what's your charity? Who are you doing it for? And, you know, generally they tend to do it for a more localised organisation, which is great. Is this your first time at ICE? Second. Second. Yes. So, what brought you back uh, for a second year? Well, I'm kind of friends with Shane, so that, that <laughs> sort <laughs> of uh, helps. And he's, he's the lead singer in a band I'm in, so that also helps. Plus he lives just down the road from me, which also helps. So I am kind of feel obliged to come or else he'd come around my house and beat me up probably. So. Extortion, that's what got you here. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, no, it's, it is a great event, but uh, it, it helps when you're friends with the organiser. It definitely does. Fantastic. Uh, if we want to check out your work anywhere, so anywhere online, we can do that, apart from buying Walking Dead comics, obviously. Well, of course, obviously. You should, you should always do Yes, yeah, so, well, I mean, I have a website, charlieadler.com. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. Twitter, you know, uh, yeah, follow me on any of those. I, I am, I am fairly prevalent <laughs> online. Fantastic! Thank you very much for your time and talking to us. My pleasure. Hey, Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. You're listening to Geeky Brummy on Brum Radio. And that was a vinyl album I got to find at my wife's in-laws' house, which is the original. Star Trek motion uh, Star Wars oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I apologise to all the geek community Star Wars original album from the London Philharmonic Orchestra which you were complaining about Keith because you think it sounds like a school band yeah it's, I, I, I've listened to the your proper Star Wars soundtrack that many times it's like oh my goodness me it's like the, they've never heard of it before yeah. and they just went oh we'll just play it it's fine. well what gets me on this album is it hasn't even got the whole soundtrack it's got side one is half of the soundtrack and then side two is tracks from other films so we've got the theme from 2001 we've got Mercury, Venus Space Tumble and Battle of the Planets Mars which I'm assuming is Mars from the Planet Suites. Well no it's not because I'm looking at who can, who's written the tracks so obviously the, the theme from 2001 Richard Strauss, yeah. then these other tracks are, are written by some geezer called Wilford Holcomb not it's host. like no, it's like who are you? And then space tumble, which sounds like something that should be on CBBC in the morning. <laughs> oh, that or late space night tumble. Party, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of Barbara, Barbarella going on. So there. that's that's a rim. Apparently, that was composed by uh, Rimsky Korsakov and arranged by some El Muller. But then it's like conducted by Vernon Hadley. I've never yeah. even heard of him or Handley. 
Yes. But um, can we just check how much that's worth on Discogs? <laughs> if if this yeah, it's got this is going to be worth a fortune. From <laughs> a, <laughs> Damont Records. Yes. It's a funky label. I'll tell you what, so they tweet us your best offers, guys. <laughs> it's the Stereo <laughs> Space you can't Odyssey. Tell it's not mine, it's it, my in law. If it was a rare record, right, you're not even get much money for it scratched. <laughs> I mean, it was issued in 1977, so there's a good chance when they did play it, they hadn't yeah. actually heard the original recording. They'd just got More the music from likely. somewhere that they downloaded off the internet. They just ripped <laughs> off the, the soundtrack. Sent by carrier pigeon on a wax cylinder. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Right. I don't think Keith just blew the dust off it. Don't bother, Keith. It's already ruined. <laughs> it's in pretty good nick. That it's is. It's pretty impressive. Nick I think it's one of those ones. It was played once them. in 1977. People yes. went, oh dear, and then it was never played again. <laughs> well, it's a. It, I I appreciate it. Thank you very much. For but you should tweet that. out the artwork. The artwork's yes. lovely. Yes, the one with. Well, the only person on that album who actually looks anything like their character is Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness. Yeah. I mean. Luke Skywalker seems to have escaped from Saturday Night Fever whilst and holding a dagger. And using his hand near his crotch for some reason. Yeah, he, yeah and his lightsaber's very short. And, and C-3PO looks like he's been goosed. Uh, it's by Alec Guinness behind him. It's C-3PO. Princess Leia looks like an M&S mannequin. <laughs> Darth looks like he's just trying to fight his way onto the cover. Let me on. <laughs> you will let me on. Too. And what annoys me more than anything else on there is the TIE Fighters are shooting red lasers, which goes against all my geeky, not geeky things on it. Do you know and, what, as well, um, the lasers seem to be going right through Luke's ear and out the other. <laughs> right, so we tweet that out now. My lovely wife has just sent the picture in, so we can send that out to people if you want to look at how bad that awful artwork is. Also, Luke Skywalker isn't holding a lightsaber, he's holding like a light kitchen knife. <laughs> It's sort of perhaps he wanted some toast and he just like in the back kitchen of the Millennium Falcon <laughs> slicing some bread there. I mean that is uh, uh, you know a sort of life hack for a galaxy you know, yes. far far away. It really is, but yeah, it's just a bit. It, it's sort of like the uncanny valley of sci-fi artwork. It kind it's of kind just of plummets into that. It's kind of like it's been described to them, and it's like, like there's it's, a woman in a white dress with pastas yes, stuck on yeah, the side of yeah, her head. It's, um, there's a bloke holding a light sword. It's like describing Star Wars to a blind person. Yeah. Um, or it's like when you get those weird sort of um, in like countries like you know South Korea and, Ch and Japan and China, yeah. and you get the sort of the artwork on film posters there that bears little to no relation to the actual yeah. movie that I mean, it's Darth Vader looks like a Henry vacuum. <laughs> he does, yeah, he looks like a Henry Hoover. He looks like he's in a different part of space to everybody else. Like he's coming from somewhere else. There's no scale either, like Alec yes. Guinness's face is massive. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best thing that's ever been said on radio. <laughs> and the and the Death Star as well, which is hidden in the background, just looks like a beach ball. <laughs> yeah, it's um Maybe it's, that's why Luke's hand is there, because he's waiting to hit the beach ball back as it comes towards him. And I'm 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 really worried about Luke Skywalker's posture because it looks like he sort of <laughs> he spread his legs so far it's like when I don't know if anyone listening does yoga but it's like when you're going into warrior pose but then he looks like he's like oh no my legs are too far I'm slipping I'm slipping I'm doing the splits I'm gonna <laughs> fall you know, and his hand is like extending in front of him as if he's, he's gonna he's sort ready of fall to tip forward because he's just losing yeah. all he's lost all <laughs> you know, integrity of posture yeah, no, 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 like there's a wet bit of Tile in the and, kitchen, and, and, and you leg like just, one yeah, leg, your, just your goes, leg just goes, slides away, and you end up doing the splits <laughs> by accident. That's what it looks like he's doing. Do you know what I want to see? I think he's like put his hand there as well to protect from the R two D two going through his legs and just like, knock him in the balls. There the is so much going on on this on this album cover. <laughs> it is it's amazing. Like, it's album. like it's a Blue Peter competition winner that sent yeah. it in. Like, draw your pictures of Star Wars kids and send them well, in. And you might be on the album cover. <laughs> well, it actually tells you on the back of the album who drew it. It's blatantly not Ralph McQuarrie because they could run away. Well, name 
and shaming. It's illustration by a gentleman by the name of Lawrence Vant, who has probably described this over CFAX. <laughs> the only way you could describe how awful these. If films. anybody else has got any other examples of Lawrence Vant artwork yes. for album covers, we'd love to see them. Or if anybody's got any awful album artwork they want to send in, we're always going to be a fan of having a look at through that. Right, so returning to the world of ice now. So we spoke to Dave Bircham from birchamart.com. Uh, Keith got a chance to speak to the w- wonderful Jessica Martin. Oh, yeah, Jessica's great. She's um, taking comics in a completely different direction from what you was, would expect. It's not kind of superheroes and science fiction. Uh, she does stories about the golden age of cinema. Um, so she'd done a comic originally about Clara Bow, yeah. um, which she'd put together and strangely enough was encouraged by Phil Jupiter, who was in the city a couple of weeks ago, um, to actually put it Hello, together Phil. and send it out as a graphic novel. So she did that and then she's done a couple of others uh, since. But it's, yeah. again, it shows the, the kind of wealth of um, stories that can be done through comics. So she yeah. writes and draws them. She's, she's lovely, lovely. And Jordan Dave also got to speak to Marguerite Bennett, who is working on the DC, DC Bombshells line of comics. Amazing. Yeah, twist yeah. on that and it's really good the way they've done that so we'll just have a quick chat to these people and we'll be back shortly we're here with the incredible Dave Birchmart uh, can you explain what it is that you do hi yes um, I'm a comic book artist and uh, I've kind of focused on merchandising in the last couple of years which has been phenomenal absolutely and I'm really it's really good to be at ICE for the first time Looking your first time here what attracted you to this convention I know the organiser Shane and uh, I've known him for like about seven years and I went along to his kind of experimental convention that he did at Shrewsbury it's kind of like a little bit of like a music festival and it wasn't the best because the music element pulled out at the last minute, I think a week before the show. Oh, no. So loads of people that pre-ordered, they cancelled their, um, their, their play. So the show itself was a bit of a downer, but it was great to meet up with him. And then he told me about ice. So I said, yeah, I'm going to be along. Fantastic. Like. Yeah. Can you explain your art style for us? Right, yeah. Obviously, as with a lot of British kids, it's like, you know, I grew up surrounded by manga, by Western comics, and I was into all of it. And so like, I would say it's like a fusion of those two like you know western comics I always love the realistic faces and I love manga emphasis on dynamism when it comes to their characters and style I've always got a lot of style so I like to think I, I like to think it's a it's a bit of an amalgamation of all of those yeah so have you had any, been any real hot sellers today and I think it's already flying off the stall what's amazing is that even though there's hardly anybody in the store we've already been selling and I'm so so happy about that so it seems obviously like at a show which is specifically very specifically comic geeks people that really know what they want they love the art they love the fact that I'm doing parodies they love the fact that it's a little bit off the shelf and I'm so so happy about that bless them having owned a piece of your art myself <laughs> that Gambit piece yeah oh, it's amazing Absolutely. there is always a crowd around your store at conventions you fight oh, your way in so I, I love it I mean I, I always feel as well that I'm so passionate about this area this industry and um, I feel that hopefully that's something that comes across plus I really like people I like being around people I like to create energy and atmosphere and I feel that what better thing to do around things you're really passionate about and that's the beauty about art is something which is enforced by passion so you can really let it fly when you're in a place surrounded by people that love whatever they love whether it be comics or art or or anything cult yeah fantastic for our listeners who are not lucky enough to be here today is there anywhere we can find your gorgeous work online absolutely guys if you go to um, birchamsart.com you can check out like all of my latest artwork I have some amazing projects coming up guys which go to um, the events 
you'll see some of the things that's going to be coming up. Can't wait to tell you all about it. You heard it here first. Yeah, that's right. Because I'm, I'm such a big blabbermouth. I, I promised everyone I'm not going to say anything until it's all done and dusted. I will not say. Watch but yeah, place. check out birchimsart.com and, and uh, you'll see what's going on. Awesome. Thank you very much for talking to us. Lovely. Take care. Bye. I'm here now with Jessica Martin, who is a comic creator uh, that I met briefly last year. A personal pleasure to have a chance to chat with her this week. So, hello Jessica. Hello, lovely to see you again. So if you can just tell us a little bit about uh, your involvement with ICE and the particular type of comics that you're producing. Well, I'm very lucky to be here three years in a row. My first visit to the ICE comic convention, I was the featured indie guest artist, which quite blew me away because literally only a few months before that I had self-published my very first comic, It Girl, which is the story of Clara Bow, a silent movie actress. And I'd self-published it, I'd launched it at Thought Bubble and one of the first customers that came up to the store, Andrew Richmond, is very very much part of the ICE comic organisation. So he suggested to Shane Chebsey, who organises it, that I be invited. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness me, what am I doing sitting here with these comic stars? You know, I I remember meeting Steve Rude, a very famous uh, American comic artist, and he actually commissioned me to draw a picture of Wonder Woman but in answer to you know why I'm here and what I'm doing I mean my brand is I write and draw comics that evoke the golden age of Hollywood I'm an actress myself been a successful musical theatre and one time iconic Doctor Who character in my life so the Doctor Who kind of gives me that you know license to cross the ferry over into comics as well but I, I rediscovered my love of drawing about five years ago I was just doing it purely for pleasure keeping a daily sketchbook and then um, somebody who might be known to the listeners out there but Phil Jupiter's who I was in Spam a lot with is a, is a nuts comics fan and he had a look at my work and he just said to me oh you know look, look at your work it's like you know you should be doing a graphic novel and when I found out what a graphic novel was I, I just you know I just found this wonderful new medium to me where you could get the the visual impact of film but with the kind of you know stop still penetration of a of a novel or a poem you can go back to it you know you don't have to kind of view it all in one go and then it then it's gone it's like the popcorn you've eaten it and it's gone so i found out within probably a month of discovering graphic novels and comics i i, I had a graphic novel in me i had a fully fledged long idea and essentially, I suppose it's the old movie that they never made that I wanted to see on paper, which is now published. It's called Elsie Harris Picture Palace. And it it was shortlisted for the Myriad Edition First Graphic Novel Prize in 2014. And it was subsequently published by Milk, M-I-W-K, Milk Publishing, in November last year, gone 2015. So I've now got to my, uh, my writing and, and illustrating credits. I've got two of my own comics, It Girl and Vivacity, I've also contributed to a number of anthologies and, and I was very proud to work with my, my mentor, Mark Buckingham, who does a lot of work for Vertigo in DC. I worked with him on a story for Vertigo for one of their SFX anthologies. And now I've got a fully formed graphic novel. And as you can see on my table, I do a lot of regular fan art, which is movie stars, movie stars, movie stars galore, generally a black and white, but I do colour as well. So. Yeah, for, for me, your work is, is definitely that example of the power of comics or graphic novels, that it is a story that is visual 
visually translated, it's, it's like you said, it's that unseen film. And the fact that, that you can produce a title and a story of that nature in comics is, is amazing. Did you find that self-publishing was a relatively easy thing to do? And did you have a lot of support? I did get a lot of support from the get-go. I mean, there are terrific printers out there who specialise in small press and self-publishers. And I went on the recommendation of people who'd self-published their comics and I'd seen their work in places like Gosh Comics down in London, which is very much kind of independent comic shop. I went to Comic Printing UK and Rich, who runs that, he does so many comics. People at MCM, you know, he's got every other one that's a really well-produced comic is, is going to be one of his so you know help with the layouts and so on having said that it's not for the faint-hearted it's not just oh, you draw a picture and you photocopy it and well maybe back in the day you know you did zines like that but it is a complex process I mean I probably spent a good part of a year and a half just getting getting my head around using a scanner and photoshop and illustrator to physically translate my, my hand-drawn things into stories with bubbles that look professional you know that people are going to laugh and say oh it's in the wrong place or can't read it not telling you anything you don't know but comics are specific language and uh, there is a way to read a comic and you there is a lot of freedom once you kind of master the principles as there is it's like in doing music you know you get the principles learn your scale and then you can play anything from pop to classical but I I stuck with it because I just knew inside of me that I so much that I wanted to say in this new wonderful uh, and very self-expressive art form because at the moment you know I'm I'm still very much an indie person you know, I'm lucky enough to get my stuff published by by proxy you know by vertigo and maybe one of these days I'll get with a bigger publisher but you know you, there are going to be there's probably going to be a lot more no not sure could you change this and change that so there is a degree of ridiculous self-indulgence with doing your your work and and I have to say you know it is selling people are responding to it so that's very gratifying but it's just no, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful kind of wormhole that I've slipped into and I never want to kind of leave, really. It's a, it's a very beautiful and very distinct style and, and the, the way you evoke the period is, is wonderful. But people are interested in, in tracking down your work and buying your books, where can they find you? Oh, yes, right. Well, anybody interested can find me at, well, my name is Jessica Martin, but my moniker as a publisher is Artemis Publishing. So if you go to my site at artemispublishing.com, you'll find all my artwork, uh, my books, and you know, if you want to order anything, it's very, very easy to order stuff there online. So please do, and please follow me on Twitter. It's Artemis Publish, and I'm on Instagram, Artemis Publish. It's all very simple to find me. It's been a pleasure to meet you once again, so thank you very much, Jessica. Thank you for having me. We are here with the fabulous Marguerite Bennett here at uh, ICE. You have some pretty impressive credits to your name is that right <laughs> that's very generous and very kind thank you <laughs> what kind of titles uh, might people be familiar with you from oh gosh um dc bombshells uh through dc comics um insects one of my favorites <laughs> thank you um insects and animosity through aftershock uh josie and the pussycats is coming out later this month and then um older titles from marvel are uh a force the all-female avengers team um angela queen of hell goodness years of future past and then a variety of, of one shots and uh you know like non-superhero stories like sleepy hollow and yeah i've been all over <laughs> <laughs> One of those responsible for some of my favourite heroes, I think, now. My favourite stories. Uh, is this your first time at ICE? Yeah, uh-huh. and it's been so lovely. And, fr- and everyone keeps apologising for the weather, but frankly, I'm based in LA, and this is very exotic and exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's different to the norm for you. Fantastic. So you mentioned Bombshells. I am a huge, huge Bombshells fan. How did you come to be involved in that project? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, Aunt Lucia had done these exquisite designs, um, you know, years ago, honestly. And um, DC had been noticing, you know, like, the, just, you know, the, like, the interest of the cosplayers, you know, showing up, having, like, created their own 
around costumes, the sales of like the collectible statue line based off of Anne's work. And then they, uh, in August of 2014, I believe it was, they did this like line-wide variant month with all these bombshells covers and they sold like hotcakes. And DC was like, hmm, like, you know, like, like by these powers combined, it seems that people like really want to hear more about this universe and this story. And I'd been joking for ages, you know, about like how much I would love to do a bombshell story. And, you know, I'd be like, just been very vocal on Twitter about how much I loved Aunt Lucia's art. So like they, they called me up uh, that September. So yeah, it was just like, it was really just a few weeks after the variant month and, uh, you know, asked if I would like to pitch a series. And so like I spent eight months like developing this massive overarching alternate history, you know, complete with a five-year plan. <laughs> and yeah, and so the Greenland we launched um, just over a year ago. Fantastic. So is it difficult to work with characters like that, that people are kind of know so well and are so beloved, so put them in kind of a different zone like that in a different period of history? Oh, absolutely. Um, and honestly, a lot of it gets down to trying to decide um, which elements of a, of a character's personality you know are innate and which one are by because of an informed experience. It's really just a nature versus nurture argument. You know, with some characters, you know, there are elements of their personality that are inherent, and then in other cases, you know, like these events, you know, that have sculpted them into the characters you might know in DC main continuity are not events that they have undergone or experienced in our world. Some cases, you know, the heroines are already established. Um, in some cases, they're just learning to become, you know, like heroes or the villains that they are. So, that, you know, there are a lot of like, you know, origin stories involved, and there are a lot of things that were changing. I mean, like one of the things that was most entertaining, like small spoilers for the bat for the um, bombshells annual that's coming out, is uh, we have Killer Croc. But in this, yeah, <laughs> so and uh, but in this version of Killer Croc is actually like a bit of a ladies' man. Like, I mean, he's already giant and scaly, but no one ever drove him into you know the sewers. No one you know turned him into some cannibal monster. The people that he was with when he was transformed love him anyway, and so he just continues to be this you know very charming you know like taking them to dances you know like rum running reptile man as you do. <laughs> of course. With the end of the heroines, you just kind of almost automatically slotted these into that area that you didn't have to do too much to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I did want to do, like, one of the major changes, there were two of them, really. One was in launching the series, everyone expected Wonder Woman to be our main character, you know, given her World War II origin. And and I disagreed. I feel that, you know, like, Wonder Woman comes from, you know, a mythological, isolated origin, whereas we have a heroine who is a Jewish lesbian and is much more invested in the human outcome and human consequences of the war, and so she was the one that I wanted to lead with. Um, the other thing that I wanted to sort of repair was um, this tendency, you know, especially in American pop culture, was this idea of, you know, like, the cavalry riding in and, you know, like, make all of the heroines were suddenly American. And so I definitely wanted to make sure that it was a very clearly international story and, that, you know, we go all over the map. You know, we're going we're gonna to be doing the Siege of Leningrad. We're going to be visiting the South Pacific. We're heading to the North African Theater of Combat next. You know, I definitely wanted to make it a complete sculpted world. So if uh, our listeners want to check out your amazing work or find out more about you, is there somewhere online they can do that? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, Evil Marguerite, all one word, on uh, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Patreon, and Gmail. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to us. I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Birmingham. Hey, everybody. John Barrowman here, and you are listening to Brum Radio. And that was Jessica Martin, Marguerite Bennett, and Dave Bertram from DaveBertramArts.com. Great bunch of people. We'll have some even more ice interviews next week. So we think we pretty much speak, spoke to 90% of the people there, didn't we? Yeah. Did, you, did you just stand in the doorway and not <laughs> let anyone leave? Until you I, I let Keith away loose with a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept on talking to it. Like, it's like, oh, I know you. I love your work. Can you speak yes. to me? And they were like, okay, yeah. So mm-hmm. you were just, you were a super fan with a recorder. Yeah, it was, it, you, it, you could see the fear <laughs> in their eyes when they went, oh, God. 
And if I walked past their desk and they were like, well, I was like, oh, I'll come and talk to you in a bit. They were like, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. But no, they were all very nice. They were all lovely people. Ice was a, Ice was a great show. Um, yeah. We didn't get to speak to as many people as we'd like. Hi, I'm Guy Halford, and you can hear me on the Geeky Brummy Show every Saturday, 12 o'clock on brumradio.com. Tune in. I'm sure you'll have a good time. And last night, me and Keith had a bit of a mandate, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. yes. We, I, I, guy, yes. I think you mean. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, this, they've both I got did. little cat-shaped handbags. <laughs> so you know. Yeah. Yeah, and we went to the Mockingbird Theatre and we watched Howard the Duck. <laughs> that was pretty much my reaction to the. That film. was your reaction. Is that, why, is that why you bought the box? Yes, that is exactly why I bought the box just for that sound effect. <laughs> it was the first time you'd ever seen it, though. Yes. And, okay, so I. Um, just, you know, for people who were born after 1987, like myself, what is Howard the Duck? Can you explain it to me? Right. Howard the Duck is a character created by uh, a writer called Steve Gerber, who was kind of like a political parody character in the 1970s, so he was this duck that they just, Steve Gerber used to just kind of do satire in Marvel comics, but packaged up with a duck from another planet. Uh, he had a girlfriend called Beverly, he, fo- he fought, um, kind of sword and sorcery guys. He'd mixed with the Avengers and all the rest of it. But as a character and a, and a concept, it was really, it was really quite funny and quite satirical. Uh, and so, in kind of from the mid '80s, George Lucas managed to option the, the film and produced uh, a, a story called Howard the Duck, or it was called Howard, a new breed of hero in Great Britain at the time. Um, which, to be honest, is not the worst film I've ever seen. There's, it's kind of like animatronic ducks and duck suits. Uh, there's some great stop motion work in at the end. It's a bit of a muddle, mixed bag. It, um, it's Tim Robbins is in it. Yeah, uh, Tim Lee Robbins Thompson is in it. Leah Thompson Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones is always a good You know, it's 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 wor- it's serviceable. Yeah. Um, I mean, for for a film of the time, it's okay. There's some interesting bits in there. I Thomas Dolby did a lot of the yeah. um, soundtrack work for it. Oh, I love Thomas Dolby. I think. Is that of Dolby? Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's she painted it me with science. Don't get me singing again. <laughs> yeah, but no, it, it was pretty much this film should have been taken as a warning. This is what happens when you give George Lucas lots of money and let him do what he wants, uh, which was then repeated with the prequels. Okay. I mean, there's a chase scene in the middle of it where you got a microlight aircraft with Howard the Duck flying it, with Tim Robbins in the back seat, and the police chasing him. It's got all these amazing action sequences, explosions going off. And the microlight, the microlight only goes twelve feet above the ground. Yes. It's like you know, but it, it's, it's it's just hokum. It's it's it's, it's, it's worth watching once. Put it that way. Yeah, and there's some lovely stop motion work. It actually it actually has a better yeah. ending than most of the kind of Marvel movies, and the villain is quite convincing. Um, works quite nicely. But yeah, it's worth a watch. It's worth a watch as a curiosity yeah. piece more than anything else. But I think Howard is a, definitely a character who could bear. Kind of been revisited yeah. and, and, and he was at the very end of Gardens of the Galaxy, so it was so worth throwing in. Would you say this is if I were to watch this film, it would be one to sit down with a gigantic bowl of popcorn and maybe some beer or wine? Some some yes. a beverage of, of a, an alcoholic nature would probably <laughs> be required. It's, it's good as seeing eighties pop culture from that time as well. It's really good references. So oh quite god, a lot yeah, of the styles, the haircuts, the yeah. kind of uh, what I love about it is the fact that it still made the nineteen eighties out to be quite grim and gritty. It's all yeah. kind of like alleyways and grime. It's so it's quite not the eighties nostalgia porn that we've kind of become used to. Well, it's it's more this is the real 80s yeah right that is pretty much it for us this week thanks very much for listening bye from everybody bye. bye thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast if you've enjoyed it 
please consider joining our listener supporters. You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website or go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.